0: Welcome to PRISM Presents. We're your hosts, Sophia Osborne.
1: And Vivian Lee, And you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded, ancestral, and traditional land of the Musqueam peoples on UBC Vancouver campus.
0: We're very happy to be here today for our third episode of PRISM Presents, a radio show dedicated to bringing you readings and conversations with writers from around the world.
1: If you haven't heard of PRISM International, We're a quarterly literary magazine based on UBC Vancouver campus, and our mandate is to publish the best in contemporary writing and translation from Canada and from around the world.
0: For today's episode, we're actually going to hear more from Vivian, because not only is she the prose editor for Prism, she's also an extremely prolific creator whose poetry chapbook debut and short film directorial debut have just come out. It's wildly impressive. I'm very honored to be in the same program as Vivian and get to work on this podcast with her. So yeah, I'm really excited to get to sit down with Vivian today to talk about those
1: two projects. Thank you, Sophia. I, I don't even know what to say. I, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm excited to talk about um, the two projects. Awesome.
0: Well, before we get into that conversation, we wanted to let you know that PRISM is currently accepting submissions for the 2023 Jacob Silber Prize for Short Fiction, which will be judged by Wabki Shig Rice.
1: The contest closes on January 15, so head to our website prismmagazine.ca to check out the contest rules.
0: Yeah, definitely make sure to check it out, and we hope to see some of you submit. Okay, now let's get into our conversation, Vivian. Could you first tell us a bit about yourself as a writer and creator?
1: I'm uh, not good with self introductions, but I'm Vivian. I'm the prose editor at PRISM International. And I really, um, I, I guess my passion for life is creation. And I really care about stories related to mental health, identity, home, and now a bit of like queer identity as well. And yeah, I just, I feel like I dabble in different disciplines because I feel like they all have ways to intersect with each other. For instance, I I think Sophia has, we talked about this in the past, previous episodes even, where the poetry kind of influences the music in the prose and maybe some of the things I draw kind of influences the way I see visually what happens in stories as well. So I feel like everything kind of interconnects and intertwines and I'm very excited about these two projects to talk about, because I think they've I've learned a lot from them. and um I'm possibly going to do I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, but originally, um, but I'm thinking of trying to do a little bit more film stuff that I really care about. So, yeah, it's very exciting
0: that's awesome. yeah. i I loved seeing this and just you really exemplify, I think the interdisciplinary creativity that I guess the the UBC MFA program really fosters and just seeing you work across genres if people didn't know Vivian created the music for this podcast so yeah there's so much to talk about I feel like and and obviously Vivian hasn't even talked about like her very impressive publications and also being an editor at Augur and all this stuff like just she's killing it but uh, (laughs) yeah You're also killing me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, first, let's talk about your new debut chapbook, Someday I Promise I'll Love You. I would love to hear you read a few poems to kind of set the scene for this conversation. For sure, yeah.
1: Thank you. I read the first poem that has the same title. (laughs) Someday I Promise I'll Love You. She, you're most beautiful when you forget what beauty is. The dew is filled with sun on days that remain still. Waterfalls, too. Harrieth them the earth that must be moved. Mother kings blue chrysanthemums with her fingers. Her nails tessellate stars into earthy loam once called hope. Swanning into air, the night curls around her voice like a circlet. Somehow, she can only sing silver. Your father rusts into ashes, let him to encircle you because of his lost tenderness and his awareness that there is love. She, do not be afraid of the home. The house is not always a hearth. Silence can be swelled without incisions. You are not always bound to being loved, to feeling love. Remember what soft beauty lies in a raw egg, how tightly light lingers on the dead. A defense is not always a wall to be pierced. Sometimes... It is a promise to embrace you in the future. When father appeals from fundamental to painting, he is trying to forget that he treasures you as much as he remembers his mother. You, too, grab yourself as many tapestries as there are constellations and draw X on your chest that begins with the touch of his hand. ribbon this solitude to threads webbed inside your secret. I promise one day you will learn to nurture them, as reflections glide through ripples of shadow to green. Tomorrow, unfurl your evaporated body and sing across the shallow pond, the edge of life. I will hold you long enough to love the taste of the earth. Wow. Great (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Next one is called Ave Maria. I dreamt cobbled stone steps, trimming to a meadow with a pagoda. You're playing Ave Maria, Bow drawn to the hazy spread of light on the ground. Toes stretched, chest encompassing time and space. Fields of bowed green gripped your feather wrist, and each breath was a swirl of wind that threaded my ombre strands and touched my sacrum. Singing, drinking, a squirrel spun deep blue circles over hills and collapsed next to a dandelion. The desire grew from a resolute back, I lifted from earth and called out your name. Your fingers knelt and leapt another octave. You stared at me through the haze, head dipping towards the field. I danced into your warm major chords and velvet vibrato until I couldn't separate you from music and die from you.
2: Mm.
1: And next one is called What It Means to Sing Forward. This one is related to the rising anti-Asian racism and kind of my response to it. What It Means to Sing Forward. I cycle through phrases of songs, calling us alien, dirty, virus-infecting, like the lady who struck me, and screamed to an audience of fairies for five stops, like shattering car windows, a Chinese doctor who couldn't arrive at work, like laying off a factory manager after a decade, like tethering yourself to a five-meter radius because streets with foreigner blood entice parasitic knives and guns. I sing out the bass of each popular beat, I learned to chahua, Watch wu shi, wear my qipao. I keepsake my history and culture. I vocalize halloween under the full moon. and eat being in dormitory libraries. Toss jianzi to uncurl purple phoenixes. Exchange Mandarin and Cantonese and English between my teeth. I blow up plastic bags and scrape glitter in my nails, saving them for mornings when life is less sun and full moon. And at the bridge, I'll argue my way to courtrooms and air out the tainted scent of their infectious slaughter.
0: Wow, yeah, powerful.
1: Now we read a part of kind of like a prose poem about some of the mental health I struggled and still struggle with a little bit. And it's called, You Once Whispered Forever. Content warnings include mentions of suicide or depression. You Once Whispered Forever, one. You curled yourself into a ball, calling me baby, baby. I wept with fear of losing you, your fingers stroking my hair, The pearl of green diminished a speck over the final sputters of the train. In the hospital, you clutched two boxes of ramen in a water-bending hand, reached out and kissed my forehead, your lips still wet from the cold. I listened to your scratchy heels and rustling fabric. How you could have spread your arms in that room, and I would have still seen the sheen on your face, your puffs of exertion. I leapt and kissed your cheek. You asked me about the present. I was so striking in front of the train tracks. At least I had you. At least you were here. At least I could spread the warmth from my heart to my lungs, at least would be separated by a flash of disingenuous light. You never cried so as hard as you did that night when I said I would be, Chama. I float away into the stars, and you could never find me. And when you clutched my hand, you were the galaxy, spreading its wings to hold me, a leaf on a still lake, taking me all in. two antiseptic hoarding my lungs. I turned to you and asked if you would stay if I didn't have hope left. I've diced these undergrowth shadows in pieces as fine as strands of my hair. I breathe, but nothing enters. I enter, and it is empty. Avoid pulling meat off my bones. I am five feet under. You told me I don't deserve it, and gripped my hand to make me remember how love sizzles and blooms, the thick texture of Niangau after morning's harvest." I remember slipping down slick subway staircases, my head burning as I hit the ground. I drew in breath, needles rippling down my spine into my sacrum. I knew I was alive. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Gorgeous. Thank you so much for reading for us, Vivian. I wanted to ask when you started writing poetry, was it one of the first forms that you explored or is it newer for you?
1: I think what came before poetry was probably music. (laughs) Like my family isn't like a musical like background really but like I think the piano and the singing guy that I enjoyed when I was younger influences the way I like or uh, hear or write poetry right now but I think I started writing poetry in careers in civics class and it was because the class was just there's nothing happening in the class so I was like okay well what can I do that gives me more like, what can I do to fill up the time? And I was like, let me just write a poem. And so that was when I started actually writing poetry in the (laughs) civics and careers class. And then I just kind of went from there. But I think in terms of one of the genres I write in, I I do think I wrote prose before I started writing poetry. But I do remember poetry as being one of the more, like, serious, like, the moment I started writing more, like, you know, seriously.
0: And so how did this chapbook come together? I saw in the acknowledgements, like, a lot of the poems were published elsewhere first. Did you kind of build up a body of work and then feel like, oh, this feels like a chapbook, or did you set out to write the chapbook? how did it, how did it happen?
1: Yeah. So actually, this is like probably my third or fourth compiled collection of short poems. I have been trying to submit in the past and with other collections, and, and never really worked out. Um, so I'm very grateful to for my Press <laughs> and Aaron. For uh, agreeing to publish this short collection, but I think it kind of was a natural process where, like, I a lot of the poems I wrote were in Billy Ray Belcourt's class classes. I took two of them, and then some of them were from maybe what I wrote in by myself outside of those classes. But I think in the past I tried to create like a you know a short collection of poems like specifically for that chapbook. But then I kind of wanted to see where I could take it if every poem was like its own distinct entity and then threaded everything through and actually the last poem in this collection I kind of wrote specifically for this collection after was accepted because I wanted to show like how ancestrally and like identity wise everything came together at the end so I, I thought there was like a clear theme of like kind of um healing and understanding throughout that kind of Cumulated at the end, so I wanted that to be highlighted.
0: That's super interesting. Yeah, I do feel like the chapbook reads as sort of yeah distinct poems, but also they work together so well, and like the themes call back to each other, and even the style of writing. Like it doesn't the voice feels like distinct in each poem, but also like they can kind of be grouped together in different Mm -hmm. voices too. Yeah, it's it's that's a super interesting process. I did want to ask about the nature imagery in it. It it definitely feels like a strong kind of theme that you come back to. And there's, yeah, there's so many beautiful images of flowers and birds and water and stone and also the, I guess, the elements in general. Yeah, I was wondering what, what draws you to this type of nature imagery.
1: Oh, no, thank you so much for your question. Like, I feel like you're finding things that I didn't even think about oh really (laughs) I was like you're like you're like finding my psychology yeah you're like understanding me through the poem almost yeah so I I think nature itself is really important to me because it's kind of one of the places where I find a lot of peace and a lot of like connection to something I don't know if sublime is the word but something like beyond myself and I remember going on at one of those hikes in Vancouver. It's really nice to go on hikes here. I Just love it. And we were coming down and there was some like, it was like a pool of like clear water, clear glacial water actually. And then we just put our hands on through it and it was just like clear, absolutely clear, even through we put our hands through and I was just like, wow, this is so pretty. All that to say is um, then the imagery, I feel like in this chapbook reflects kind of my connection to nature and how, I think how I, I see nature reflected in like internally and also how like it develops in a way that I, like maybe I have nature in a way, something that I don't have any control over either. It's kind of there and I have to like learn to understand it and kind of, I feel like the way I understand nature is the way I kind of see it in myself. <laughs> and and the peace I find in it is just really something that I really cherish as well. So I think all that nature imagery kind of comes through because of all those emotions related to, and also music, music is part of nature too. So all the listening, all like the quiet, all the peace, whenever I write, I try to find some of that in my writing as well.
0: Totally. There's something, yeah, so musical about the imagery. I mean, then there's poems that draw that really clear connection like Ave Maria that you read where it's, it's so connected Yeah. And there's something too about when you're writing about kind of ancestral history and stuff too, and and how music and also nature, kind of like these classical things almost kind of connect
1: us back through time in a way. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. Yeah, I think nature, music, And then that's maybe a way, I'm almost understanding myself more because of you, thank you, (laughs) but like nature and music as a way of connecting back to something that was maybe even like imagined, like an imagined past, Mm -hmm. an imagined ancestral connection, something that we can't really go back to. And I feel like that's, you know, like the moments in life where we're like experiencing nature or like experiencing a very, you know. A moment with family, like we're like, oh, this is such a nice moment. I wish remembered this feeling forever. Those moments kind of are being reimagined in some of the poetry as well.
0: I also wondered, and I know you've asked this question to other interviewees we've had on the podcast, but <laughs> I was really interested in your use of language in the piece and Chinese characters within the piece and names, especially. So. Yeah, could you just talk a bit about your your use of of language?
1: Yeah, so in this chapbook, I specifically it's interesting because um, one of the poems is called Xing and it's literally like a Chinese character. Um, and then sometimes I I write with pinyin. Sometimes I write, which is like little words above the chi- the Chinese characters that like kind of tell you to pronounce how to pronounce things. And then there's one poem where where all my friends are golden and bright, I have like a little character that I drew, but it kind of, the the reasoning for that character is it mimics the character Wu, which means nothing. And that was something that I really wanted to include. I think in terms of language, I I wanted this kind of, because my background is kind of, you know, first generation immigrant where my parents and I kind of both speak Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, I wanted that to be reflected, kind of, in this chapbook, and so there are times when I have like more traditional characters, which represent the Cantonese instead of the the Mandarin, because those are well, those characters are more traditionally used in Cantonese writing. And so the the Chinese and the Cantonese here are kind of ways of I don't know, calling back to that culture or that history of of all that identities that kind of maybe I inhabit or I i try to take part in because i don't want to like you know kind of neglect one like oh this is like or pretend that maybe my parents spoke this in mandarin instead of cantonese it's like no they spoke this in cantonese but they said this in mandarin um so it's kind of that connection there i wanted to pursue and i just i think there's an element to which like translation even really good translations lose something and so i wanted to have those initial desires and thoughts kind of be in the piece as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And like from the perspective of a reader who doesn't know Mandarin or Cantonese, it's like I think that that affects the reading experience in a really interesting way too. Like I do really enjoy when things are left kind of untranslated and it, it makes it feel kind of more intimate. And like, there's something that I, as the reader does don't get to know or understand. I mean, obviously I could look it up, but like in that moment of reading, it it's kind of feels like a, yeah, an intimate secret or like almost something happening like off screen or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was really interested in that in your, in your work. I also did want to ask about the illustrations in the chapbook because you you did the illustrations and what was that process like
1: yeah so I think I was kind of inspired by because um I did comics with Sarah in the program and I was like looking through this chapbook like the one of the proofs and I was like oh maybe it would be good to have some illustrations to represent some of what I feel about what's happening in this chapbook and the process for it was honestly, it should have been more like um, strategic as very much like, does this work? Does this not work? So I, I would sit in our, coll- we have, in our college right now, we have like a little mini rose garden. So I'd sit there and I'd like look at the poem, I'd print out the poem, I'd look at it and I'd just like draw little things that kind of represent what I thought. So for instance, like where there was an illustration about like the four leaf clover or the sword, I kind of just tried out different things and like hoped it worked almost and there was one with like the little hug that originally was supposed to go around the title and then I realized how big the title was the Greek constellations reflecting grief and joy and then I was like nope that's not happening so I think it was more of like it was a combination of like organic you know wanting that character to be there and how to represent it and also like thinking about the poem itself and like trying to understand what the theme what it is I really want to say like what the image is that like the core image of what I want to say and sometimes it was like the last line of the poem reflected in that illustration sometimes it was kind of like an emotion or feeling I have like an eye in this poem and the eye kind of looks at each other and I think it's just I don't know I think it was like one of those things where I just tried to capture the essence of what was happening and then I had to figure out how many illustrations I should put in and how often I should put them in because there was an illustration supposed to be going with the first poem but ended up being too busy and I was like oh this is not great I'll take it out so I took that one out but yeah I think I'm happy with the ones I chose to include Um, and the last one I was very much like how do I call back this kind of feeling of like floating but connection And so I think that's kind of how I approached it, like each one I thought about, like for each poem, I thought about what it is I wanted to say and how do I represent that in an image that is like succinct enough to not be too busy, essentially.
0: Yeah, I think they're, they really struck me as being very, yeah, succinct and and simple, but very like beautiful. And they just add that kind of extra feeling to Poems and yeah, I was really I was I was going to ask about uh, how you kind of chose that style of illustration. So that's really interesting to know. I also was wondering about form because there's like a lot of different kind of poetic forms in the collection, um, and I noticed that a lot of the poems were in parts. I was wondering what what draws you to that form, and I noticed too some of them were like numbered parts and then other times it Mm -hmm. was unnumbered parts
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so I think uh, because this collection is very much about like fragmentation and healing and so I thought that parts really did make sense for me in terms of how to structure everything in terms of like development even like for one of the poems you once whispered forever the one that I kind of read a bit of it just felt right to have like three different like mini half scenes or mini like parts like even in a musical score like the prelude and then the etude and everything else um it felt it made sense to have kind of like a little preamble and then more of like what's happening and then a little bit later I think yeah that's kind of sometimes I feel like that's how I think and that's how I write some of the poetry and that might come from some of the prose in terms of like switching from scene to scene almost and sometimes I feel like some of the poems are very like here is one poem it's like a very structured kind of element and for those ones I kind of tend to stay in one kind of general scene or mood or thread other things into that scene and I think the prose poetry kind of comes from like I don't know this desire to connect both like you know when we write fiction about just like a not ordinary speech, but kind of like a a rhythmic kind of speech and also like um, metaphor and music. And I think the music really does influence the way I write and the way I, I hear the words as well. I think before I see anything, often I hear the words like kind of like the quality of the words itself brings forth some kind of feeling or image that I feel like should be in the poem. Um, which is maybe a different way to write. But.
0: That's so cool! I wish I had that. <laughs> it's like sometimes you write something, and then for me, it's like the opposite. Where yeah, I write it, and then I finally go to read it. And I'm like, oh, this that sounds horrible together, or whatever. It doesn't <laughs> flow in the way that I would want. I'm always trying to get to that like me a musical quality that yeah, your your writing definitely has. Lastly, I wanted to ask about the ending of the chapbook and how it switches to like the landscape format and the words really kind of sprawl like the lines sprawl across the pages was that I know you said you wrote the the final poem after kind of putting the chapbook together so how do you see that kind of shift into the the landscape very like free form kind of writing at the end
1: yeah no thank you for that question I definitely so this chapbook collection is trying to do a lot of things, Uh, one of which is the connection to ancestral history. And at the very end, I wanted to find some way of connecting that to identity and mental health. And so I thought, I mean, form wise, I think, I don't know if this was like a, this was a deliberate choice, but I remember when I wrote Red for Billy Ray's class, it didn't feel right for it to be a horizontal, like a vertical poem I just felt like it needed that space like that landscape space like between cultures or history like kind of like a bridging between different identities and so with that last poem prayer for the ancestors I think it also felt like it had to be a similar situation where it it kind of spread across the page to because we had so much fragmentation to kind of you know bring it all together somehow in a different way And yeah, it just feels like the spread of the page is like, you know, the connection between multiple things, one of which music and ancestral history. And then, yeah, I just think that connection is just something that I needed to put in at the very end. Yeah, I think it just, it was an intuitive choice. And I didn't really actually think about it until you mentioned (laughs) it again. So thank you.
0: Yeah, it's, well, it's really cool. You're listening to Prism Presents on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Vivian Lee on her debut chapbook, Someday I Promise I'll Love You. We'll be back to talk about Vivian's new short film after this ad break.
2: You want to change the state of the world, but instead you keep buying material goods to satisfy whatever desire you have in that very moment? Me too. But now you can do both. Brock Shop and Community Thrift is a local vintage shop that fulfills your 1970s old chic fantasy while also supporting at-risk people through their compassionate and supportive work training program. All of their profits go to the PHS Community Services Society to support ongoing healthcare, harm reduction, and health promotion projects in Vancouver and Victoria. So stop by their two locations, Community Unisex on West Hastings or Community Frock Shop on Corral Street. And if you know any other local businesses that deserve recognition for their generous business practices or their contributions to the community, please DM us on Instagram at CITR and Discorder because we would love to spotlight them. Because hey, if you can't stop buying, you might as well start supporting. Do you love being caffeinated? And do you hate that greedy, soulless international conglomerates are succeeding in the cutthroat world of coffee? Sounds like local coffee roasters Trek Coffee is for you. Trek Coffee is 100% Indigenous and Military Veteran-owned and operated. Let's keep small businesses thriving. Stop by Sunshine Convenience on 4th, the Super Value on Commercial, or Grocery Checkout in the Nest to pick up some Trek Coffee today. Welcome, Annie and Sifko King. Do,
0: Tantse. Ichwa, Israel. Ahlao, Sahla.
2: I'm at Skype.
0: Bienvenido. Una ti.
2: Jektunal. Tachtaita.
1: You are invited to volunteer for Swissessus and Garden. Get away from the rat race. Get back to the land. Heal. Reconnect with yourself. Touch grass. Find a quiet place among the plants, and find a quiet place inside yourself. Check us out on Facebook at Indigenous Garden UBC Farm. Or visit the Swiss SSM Indigenous Garden located at UBC Farm just off of Ross Road. Hmm, okay, let's see here. Blend equal parts science and stories. Add a few shakes of music and soundscape.
2: And wrap it all up in a big question. How can we see this more-than-human world in a new light? And take part in shaping a healthy Anthropocene. Catch Future Ecologies every Sunday at 8am on CITR
0: welcome back now i'm excited to talk to vivian about her new short film in silence we sing vivian could you give us a little synopsis or kind of like teaser for the film and what it's about
1: yeah for sure so in silence we sing is about a immigrant diaspora family who hasn't been able to go back to china after a grandfather's death during the pandemic and the protagonist i is essentially forced to face her depression the silences in her home and her parents unsung frustrations including the ancestor ghosts now possessing them.
0: Super cool. Yeah, I got to I got to watch the short film and really enjoyed it. Very very cool. I definitely have a lot of questions about like the process of making it. But I guess before we get into like the film's actual production, what was kind of the story around writing this piece? Like was this something you wrote in class or or when and when did you write it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So actually this um my Short film was part of this program called Unsung Voices. And essentially, it was part of a Toronto Related Film Festival where emerging filmmakers from the ages of I think, 18 to 29 are able to apply with their ideas. And then during the months of like May to August, basically, we'll have workshops about filmmaking and write film and then, you know, edit the film. And I came in there not really having an idea of filmmaking. I think other people in the program had at least some, you know, like solid photography experience. And I thought I had photography experience until I went in and I was like, oh, I don't have any photography experience. (laughs) 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 So the short film was something and kind of proposed the idea of at the time. And the musical dramedy part, I really wanted to, you know, it was part of the idea, like the singing and stuff. And I think, yeah, I was inspired by my own family experiences with my you know my family's my grandfather passing away in China and then inspired by that incident and kind of what could have resulted maybe not the ancestor ghosts but maybe what could have resulted with like you know all those walls being broken down and understanding connection although that didn't happen it was essentially um, my way of trying to understand that kind of death and what that means to not be able to go back and I I worked with a composer at UBC, and we, like, co-lyrics as well. So we did, like, lyrics together, and it was a cool process to go back and forth with him as well about that, yeah.
0: Had you ever worked in sort of screenwriting or playwriting mm-hmm. before?
1: I took um, a few classes in, with Sharon and Linda on screenwriting and TV writing, but I haven't, like... So I wrote scripts for them, but I haven't exactly, like, maybe made, like, an actual short film. Like, the filmmaking process itself was, like, very daunting and challenging for me. I think when I was a script writing print, I was like, oh, I'm in my element. I know how to format things. All is good. And then they were like, "Now time to make it. And I was like, what <laughs> do I do? <laughs> so.
0: How does it feel? Like, it It just premiered at the relation? Film Festival in Toronto and like how does it feel to see your words come to life on the screen
1: yeah it was definitely a powerful and humbling experience I think just being able to I don't know like like I feel like every every um shot was like another I had some kind of memory of something I was doing in that shot like how did that shot even happen you know like I I know all the like the backstory let's say and it's just I don't know it was just really. Yeah, amazing to see that. And it, my, myself and other, like, five of the filmmakers' words just on on the screen. It was, yeah, it was also my first film festival. So I was like, oh, what's going on here? It was very, very cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it looked like such a cool experience. I know, like, not at all at the same scale, but I, I wrote and co-directed a one-act play that was, like, put on oh, at a festival amazing. during... Yeah, and that was, like, during... I think it was summer summer 2021. Yeah, summer 2021. It was all on Zoom. But yeah, the process of like casting the actors and having all these actors come in and like read lines that you wrote in different, you know, you, you asked them like, can you do this in a different way? Or like the the way that realizing how much like intonation and the performance changes the meaning of what you've written is like wild when you've only ever just- written things and and read them and like realizing how much yeah inflection and everything changes meaning I know that was like very a very strange process but really cool to see
1: yeah for sure like when the actors come in it's like oh it's actually happening you're you're taking my words and making it your own now because like there's like a different creation process with each step almost like you write it then you direct it then there's actors and there's like you know stage and lighting and everything it's really cool yeah
0: yeah could you just talk a bit about what it was like to work on this as a director and like what you learned through that process
1: (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) it was uh it was a ride um uh what I learned as a director I learned so much. We also were paired with a mentor and I was paired with Natalie Murrow, who's super amazing and super nice, super great. Check out her work. But it was, I think I learned how to like, I had a really big set. I had like around like 18 people on set and just, I think I learned how to coordinate, how to let things go. (laughs) Some things like I couldn't, you know i didn't like we didn't have time for or like for instance like in every scene for the musical scenes because of the timing we only have one take of each scene and that's usually not something um we do because you're supposed to have like multiple takes in case something doesn't work out in one of the takes and yeah like it ended up being an issue in the editing process but in terms of directing i think I learned also how important rehearsals are. Like we rehearsed beforehand for the musical sections because, like we were going to record it again anyways. But I think we should have done more rehearsals. I think for next musical, I do if in the next like ten years, maybe, <laughs> I think more rehearsals would be really essential because even if we pair it up later, like the mouthing, the lips don't match, then it's going to be such a huge issue. And I didn't realize that till in the editing process and Directing wise, I think just figuring out how to, like, you know, what it is I wanted, like having that vision. For instance, one of the scenes where, you know, you see the lighting change and the ghosts come, you see lighting change, you see the windows moving, your camera goes in. All of that had like multiple people working <laughs> <laughs> um, behind the scenes, our wonderful production assistants. Like, someone had to, like, turn the light down, someone had to turn you know change the lighting someone had to blow this <laughs> like cardboard thing and blow the windows open and it was like everything had to go like you know a few seconds later someone had to go like you know windows you know lights like you know, <laughs> so it was interesting to see like the behind the scenes as well like what it takes to make something like this yeah I think I definitely learned a lot as you know as a writer and director and and a producer and I just you know I feel like whatever it is I'm taking next taking into my next project. I think the next one will like be um a video poem. Like it's from because I was shortlisted for the Vancouver City Poems Prize, like the stage one. And there's stage two now, which is like video poet video poetry contest. So you have to make a video poem out of your poem that was shortlisted. And I'm like, oh now I can maybe try to do some cinematography. We'll see. And I'm hoping also find funding for a short documentary which will lead to that feature film script that I was writing in Sharon's class about my late grandmother and Alzheimer's and memory so yeah I think it's all kind of in this project has actually inspired me and helped me you know get to know more people in the film industry who could possibly help me with that that film that feature film I really 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 care about so yeah, yeah
0: totally i you know with working in tv or like wanting to work in tv just knowing like it's such a networking heavy industry and like all these festivals that you have to go to and meet people and securing funding like it's it's really not something that you can just like do by yourself in your room at all and so yeah getting that experience is amazing and I loved the musical aspect of it it was just it was so fun but also powerful in the way like it felt that that there the characters couldn't really couldn't really communicate with each other except through song, which was so cool. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about how you see the musical aspects, like playing a role in the, in the story?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say they're really essential. Actually, one of the songs was a bit, was supposed to be a bit longer, but we had to cut it down because the film was a little bit too long. It was the first song with the, with the father slash granduncle. But I think the song is was like a huge part of the proposal i even had for the project and this the film was called in silence we sing so essentially it was like what it is that is being repressed in us is being like sung forth and i just think the song itself the songs together kind of create this momentum and this like different modes of feelings like a little bit like the lighting changes to like from blue kind of like you know more somber and like reflective to like a little bit more like hopeful to like purple lighting which is like we're gonna be powerhouses now we're gonna like take control of our futures and it's just like all those emotions that I feel like have been bottled up inside my family because we don't really talk <laughs> yeah. we don't really talk at all and like even with you know deaths in our family back in China like we don't really talk about that I don't know why nobody really says anything I try to say something and everyone's like walking around in circles or something so I was like well there are so many emotions that I feel like song and music itself it's just such an expressive way of exploring those emotions exploring that sadness exploring that hopefulness and especially exploring that rage because with that last song I didn't get to really like pinpointed in the song itself but what I meant for the song itself to reflect was like someone with like a you know like a gray sexual or like queer identity kind of not being able to f- like fit in with whatever was being told to her in the past and like I just feel like a lot of that emotional buildup is something that a lot of women especially have to like you know repress and I just I feel like there's there's ways to like there's has to be a way of like releasing that Oppressed anger like especially because of all that's happening and everything just and so I think the songs kind of reflect all those emotions that have been contained within us and haven't been able to escape especially in, in the silences and it's easier to be silent sometimes it's harder to be silent sometimes but in my family it's very much like a way of like you know stepping across stepping around the problem or the issue and I think that's not very healthy so yeah
0: yeah totally i i think a lot of times like in musical i think it's really cool to take that tool of musicals to use for this purpose of like expressing what's been bottled up this entire time really cool i also wanted to ask about the way that the older generations like speak through the younger generations because that that's so cool to me and something that i've been exploring a bit in my writing, just in terms of, like, where we overlap with, like, our ancestors, I guess, and so... I love that, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, you know, what role you see that playing in, in this story.
1: Yeah, I think, like, that added layer of, like, I thought, like, you know, even if they were given the opportunity to sing, like, they wouldn't sing, like, the the parents in the, in the short film wouldn't, you know, they have... Maybe they have too much baggage or they have too much weight on them about the past. And so the ancestor ghosts come, they possess the parents, and because they couldn't like the immigrant family couldn't go back. So then the ghosts decided to come here instead and to perform the funeral rites. And the way that the ghosts can speak through the parents is is through like kind of connecting the different like eras and the Eras are connected through like a sense of like they have similar emotions. So I imagine I have backstories for the ghosts that didn't get to really explore. But like, essentially, one of the ghosts like couldn't like he lost his fingers and he couldn't play the piano anymore. Um, that was his life like mission. Like that was his life like desire. And so he has love, regret, and sadness. And then the other ghost has a lot of like anger towards the fact that. Like she was being repressed and like told, like, just have to find Mr. Wright, you know, just find that Mr. Wright. That's all you have to do. Like the reason why you're not feeling this way is because you didn't find Mr. Wright. And some for some people in this world, that's not really that's not like, you know, it's not like it's ever something that is something that you should be said because like maybe Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or whoever right isn't something that, you know, connects them to someone else and so different forms of attraction, and so I felt like the different emotions that the the mother and the father were having, like the mother being kind of in the repressed by the husband by saying that she's useless or whatever. Like those kind of emotions build up, and I wanted like a parallel story of like repression and emotions in different ways. And I felt like if they had that, heightened to a level. The parents at the end would be able to like feel some kind of release, some kind of like, just some kind of way of, oh, I've explored this emotional capacity that I kept within myself. I feel kind of different. I don't know why, but I'm a little bit more at peace now. And so I felt like the answers to go kind of in a way like they said their last little bit, the last little bit they didn't get to say to anybody, but they also managed to like help their a uh, family that they haven't really been connected to like. Also become a little bit closer at the end. So yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, I really, I really got that, and and also to connect the family because they had this experience together with the ghosts and singing and everything, and it felt like they understood each other a bit better as well at the end, or like they felt like they had had this moment together, which was
1: cool for sure. Yeah,
0: great. Well, and it was great to hear about what is coming next for you with filmmaking and everything that sounds so exciting and very very cool yeah was there anything else you wanted to talk about with uh with the film or with filmmaking
1: um I think one more thing I wanted to just add now that I remember it is um the very end where I feel like I'm just spoiling everything but <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to watch anyway just- <laughs> um where the the brother kind of like thumps down the stairs I think that was like I was a bit nervous about that moment because some some people had been telling me the people i been sending the work to before was showcased at the festival. Like they were saying like, oh, that that moment is a bit weird. You should cut it out. But I was like, this is an essential moment of the piece. This is where we see someone who's never been seen before. And he comes down and he's like giving that like, you know, like. Like me and I, the main the protagonist, I was like, "What's going on?" But she like kind of goes with it, anyways. But I needed someone to go like, "What is going on here? Like, what is happening? Why are you guys all okay with this?" And and it was a bit like nerve wracking to see how people would respond in the theaters. And it was really great to just people were laughing. They were just like, "Wait, what's going on here?" (laughs) They were like, "Oh, I understand." And it was just so nice to have the audience response and confirmation that I did it. I did the right thing by including that last piece in because it was really, really important to me. So
0: yeah, I feel like it's a moment where the filmmaker is saying like this, this is kind of like a funny story, even if it is like emotionally kind of charged and moving, it's still like a little wacky and it is like a, yeah. a fun musical
2: yeah. dramedy
0: thing. So it's kind of that invitation to take it that way and to laugh. I, I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> Just- <laughs>
1: thank you very much yeah well where can people what will, will people be able to view the film in the future I think so uh right now I'm submitting to other festivals because there's this I'm learning about film festivals in a different way but um there's different kind of premieres that people like some festivals want so I'm trying to submit to other places first before making the link public but it will be public um maybe in a year or two yeah
0: Sweet. And what about the chat book? Is there a way people can get their hands on that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, it's with 845 Press. And if you search up someday, I promise I'll love you. 845 Press, it should pop up. If not, it should be on my website, vivianleecreates.com it should be on the front page of that. So feel free to take a look if you're interested. Yeah.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll make sure to link all that in the description. But yeah, thank you so much, Vivian. That was just such an interesting conversation it was so great to talk more
1: about your work today no thank you and I'm excited for your next steps
0: yeah for sure yeah thank you all for listening and if you're interested in submitting to the 2023 Jacob Silber prize for short fiction check out our website at prismmagazine.ca we've been your hosts Vivian Lee and Sophia Osborne join us next time for more readings and conversations with inspiring writers Mm -hmm. Thank you.